Thank you, Jesus. He's so amazing, isn't he? Isn't he amazing? Isn't he amazing? Isn't he worthy of our prayer? Isn't he worthy of our gathering? Isn't he worthy of our corporate worship? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Thank you for your presence. The presence of the Lord is in this place. And we acknowledge his presence with humble hearts. We're grateful, God, for your presence. We don't take for granted your being with us in this atmosphere. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And so uh, let's get into things. Um, It's been a couple of weeks since part two. Uh, And so what we're going to do is we're going to do a quick recap And then we will move on to part three of overcoming what? Soul ties. All right. All right. Um, So let's look at Genesis 2-7 really quickly. That's Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse number 7. Tell your neighbor this is a recap. This is a recap. Yeah, this is a recap. (laughs) Genesis 2-7. Um, It reads, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living, what? A living soul. Okay. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. All right. There's a difference between spirit and soul. Um, We have discovered that often they are used interchangeably, uh, but as we look at it biblically, they actually are altogether different. And one way that we have discovered we can remember is that a soul is something you have and a spirit is something you are. Amen. Uh Uh-huh. Um, Because you were a spirit before you were a person, and you will be a spirit after uh, you are a person. And so you are a spirit at the core of your existence, but once you become a person, you're given this soul, and as earthen vessels, the housing place for it all is your body. And that leads us to the fact that we are what? Trichotomist. Yeah, we're trichotomous. And that means that we have what? We have a spirit, a soul, and a body, okay? So we are a spirit. We possess a soul, and we live in a body, okay? Say, I am a spirit. I possess a soul. I live in a body. All right, yep, they're all connected. And so your physical actions affect your spiritual aptitude and the health of your soul. What you allow in your spirit affects your soul and has bearings on your body. What you allow in your spirit affects your soul and has bearings on your body. The soul, the soulish part of you, because we said that we are a spirit, we possess a soul, and we live in a body, that soul that we possess, it is composed of three components, correct? And they are what? Mind, will, and emotions. That's right. Mind, will, and emotions. So our soul holds our mind, 
our will and our emotions, all right? Uh, your soul has an appetite. It has cravings, mm -hmm. okay? We just read in Genesis 2 that God breathed into the nostrils of man, and man became a living soul. Anything living has to be what? Fed, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and anything that's not fed is dead. So while your body lives off of physical food, your soul is craving something, and your soul is eating something. Um, your soul is your chooser and your refuser, yeah. all right? And we looked at Job. He had two examples of that, Job 7.15 and Job 6.7, uh, where uh, the Bible talked about his soul being his chooser in one of the verses. And in the other verse, it said that his soul was his refuser. There are things that your spirit may crave or even your body may crave, but those aren't your decision makers. Uh, just a sidebar slash update, um, Chick-fil-A and I have cut ties again. No, the devil, the devil it is. But um, I'm, I'm not, no, I'm not on that train. I'm on a new train, but we can talk about that later. But, you know, Chick-fil-A and I, you know, 30 days, you know, we went uh, without seeing each other. And then uh, after that, we, we went a week. I mean, when I say a week, just because they closed on Sunday, that's, that was the only day I couldn't go. But we went a sh a strong week. I'm talking multiple meals. I'm talking breakfast. I'm talking lunch. I'm stopping just get a fried and lemonade, you know, snack, midday snack. And then I said, enough is enough. And so we didn't cut ties again, and I will not see old chick until December. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, y'all pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. And so the reason I brought that up is because uh, that is an example for me of how, uh, you know, your, your spirit may crave something and your body may crave something. And so just because I have um, disconnected myself from that thing, it does not mean that my body does not still crave it. But my body is not my chooser. And so just because my body wants it doesn't mean that I have to choose it. Okay. Okay, so my body is not my chooser, and it's also not my refuser, all right? Uh, but your soul, your soul holds your mind and your will because it takes strong will to drive past. And then First Lady can tell you, I don't know what's going on, but now the app wants to tell me every time I drive past one. <laughs> it comes up, and it's, yeah, it lets me know that, um, Hey, you just drove past Steeple Chase. What's good? Hey, you just drove past the Boulevard. Vista Garden. That's right, my body is not my chooser. And it's not my refuser. Sometimes you have to speak to yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember uh, during the time of um, remaining pure sexually, there are times where I had to say out of my mouth, my body is for God and God is for my body. Because if not, my body would have been for something else. Right. Amen? Amen. Amen. The spirit man will always want certain things, and so will the body. Always. A man will always be a man and want what a man wants. But 
What does your soul want? What does it have an appetite for? What is it craving? And a good start there is what have you been feeding it? Okay, so that was the foundation that we laid in part one, and then we endeavored to part two, and we started out with a myth buster. And what was that? The lie that all soul ties are bad. That's not true. All soul ties are not bad. And we busted that myth biblically. Biblically speaking, there are examples of good soul ties. And so number one, if you're married, then you and your spouse ought to have a good soul tie. You ought to be connected not only in your body uh, or even your spirit, but connected in your soul, all right? Because as a married person, you are united, you are regarded as one, you are one flesh, and one flesh literally has one soul, okay? Um, but outside of marriage, in friendship bonds, it is okay when a healthy friendship that God gets glory out of for you to have a soul connection with them. We talked about soul sisters in the Bible like Ruth and Naomi. We talked about soul brothers like Jonathan and David. And the Bible literally says that Johnny and Dave, their souls were knitted together. The scripture says that. Deuteronomy 13 and 6 is the first mention of this type of context, but in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 3, it says, now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, that's Johnny if you didn't know, was knit to the soul of David, that's Dave, all right, stick with me, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Verse 3 says, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And the word covenant is also what? It's an agreement. Agreement's an agreement. All right. If two shall touch and agree, where does agreement take place? Agreement is not physical. Okay. Agreement takes place when my mind towards something is the same as your mind towards something. Agreement takes place when my will towards something is the same as your will towards something. Agreement takes place when my emotions or how I feel about something is the same as how you feel about something. We're in agreement. Mind, will, emotions, where is that? That's your soul. Okay? So, Touch and agree. That's a soul connection. When you are in agreement like this, then that intensifies God's demonstrated power. And this is a godly soul tie, of course. When you are in agreement in a godly soul tie, it intensifies God's demonstrated power. Okay? And this is why soul ties in the earth, uh, when they are, are, are good, is when they are of God, because it should ultimately be God getting glory that is the foundation of all relationships involving God's people. How many of you know that you can't have, you know, casual encounters? You can't have casual relationships. They have to be purposeful. As believers, everything we do, our, our relationships should be purposeful. It shouldn't be just because y'all got a lot in common and y'all, you know, y'all like to hang out. No, what is the purpose of this relationship? Yeah. yeah. I'm not talking about what you do. I'm talking about why you do it and who gets glory out of what you're doing. Okay? And so one of the highlights of part two was the fact that we discovered that the moment God's people get their soul tied up with people,
places and things that are not conducive for the demonstration of the power of God, then they are creating atmospheres in and around their being that are conducive for the demonstration of the demonic. Yeah. Yeah. So these casual relationships that you think you have, if God's not getting glory out of them, then literally, if God's not getting glory, the enemy is. I mean, there's no other way. If, it, if, it's not, if it's not something that is conducive for the demonstration of the power of God, the only other option is that it's conducive for the demonstration of the demonic. And we've got to understand that because sometimes believers think there's an in-between. Yeah, we think we can rest somewhere in the middle where this might not be giving glory to God, but it can't be that bad because I'm not doing this and that. No, no, no. If you're not giving glory to God, then you're giving glory to the enemy. If you're not giving glory to God and if this relationship is not conducive for the demonstration of the power of God, the only other option is I've opened the door to the demonic. That's the only other option. That's it. There's no in-between. And so I'm just trying to drive home how important it is for you to take a moment to look at your relationships and say, wow, is God getting glory? Yeah. Is God getting glory? When your soul is tied or what your soul is tied to will determine whether you are seeing an open heaven or a living hell. Especially in marriage. Can I take a moment? Especially in marriage because marriage is the example of the Godship and the sonship. It's the example of the church is Christ's bride, right? And so literally marriage is the example of what the demonstrative power of God looks like in the earth as it pertains to a love relationship between Christ and the church. So how do you do that if you're at the altar with somebody? Okay. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. How do we demonstrate the power of God when you don't know God? Remember we talked about no? I'm going to get to that in a second. But how do we demonstrate God's power? Now, there are relationships that can be established when God will have you to disciple another. But, but you don't get into marrying somebody that you plan on discipling. Because some of us confuse a partner with a project. If you're my partner, you're not my project. If you're my partner, you got to be my partner because we're working on a project. You can't be the project that I'm working on because then the project that God has for us to work on is not being worked on. And now I know what that project is because even though you don't get it because you don't know God and I shouldn't be with you anyway, 
because of the fact that God has revealed to me what the project is, once I'm done trying to bob the builder you, now I'm exhausted when I come trying to drag myself to church and when I come trying to pray for somebody that has been assigned to me because I'm exhausted from this project and don't have energy to do the project that we should be doing together. And so I'm tired for two reasons. I'm tired because number one, I'm exhausted because I build you. And I'm tired, number two, because I'm in this alone. And so now I don't, I, I have two projects and no partner. And so we need to discover, is my partner an imposter? We need to discover. We need to discover, is my partner an imposter? And then we need to cut sides. Because you're not going to catch me not giving God glory. You're not going to catch me not allowing myself to be used for the glory of God because that means I'm being used for the destruction of Satan and his plan. It's real. It's so real. And you know a tree by its fruit. There's absolutely no way, there is absolutely no way that two people of God can come together in this way of being able to demonstrate the power of God and not bear fruit. There's absolutely no way. Yep. Yep. No way. It can't happen. It's against the law. Yeah, there's a law. There's a law in place, and that violates a law of God. Okay? All right, and then we begin to talk about sex a little bit. And we talked about how the Old Testament biblical term for sexual intercourse is to know. Okay? And so, um, in knowing you, if I know you, I've come in contact with your knower, meaning your soul. So the more we do this, the more we bond, the more we connect. And so the truth is that some of us above and beyond allowing someone other than our husbands or our wives to come in contact with our knower or our soul is that some of us have come to know people who don't even know God. Yeah. It's, it's spiritually disgusting. <clears throat> It 
it's spiritually disgusting. I mean, it. You, that, you, I want you to get the revelation of it because when you know better, you do better. And, and, and so I just want you to see this thing for what it is. And my master's class already knows, we talked about this, how you have to, you have to see things, you have to call it, you know, as nastily as it is so that you can make sure that you don't give it, you know, a cute pet name and then connect to it because you don't identify it as you should. And so we have got to stop connecting in this way and we have got to stop establishing these soul ties that are raping our spirits yeah yeah we, we've got to stop that mm-hmm and we've got to see it for exactly what it is because if you think Anything about it is casual. You will enter into it casually, and then you will become a casualty. Okay? We're not talking casual. We're talking about covenant. And so the scripture in Genesis 4, 1 and 2 said that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived, and she bare Cain, and, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And then she again, bare Abel. The message, remember, it cut to the chase. It said, Adam slept with Eve's wife. She conceived and had Cain. She said, I've gotten a man with God's help. Then she had another baby, Abel. Abel was a herdsman and Cain a farmer. And so if we look at the wording, the verbiage in the King James Version, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. And so we took that a little further and we applied it to ourselves to say that if, if you get to know, get to know, if you get to know God, your life would have no choice but to conceive in the spirit and give birth to things that look just like him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so there was a declaration that went forth that the more intimate that you get with the father, the more you will see things spring up in your life and you'll find yourself saying, that's just like God. Do I have any witnesses to that? Have we ever been in a place of intimacy with God and we started to see things popping off that look just like him? Yeah. I know somebody, they're, they're a little, little shook right now because they gave God their yes and they became intimate with God and they're starting to just see things pop off. And, and that's that Amos 9.13 flow. Their head is swimming. Things are happening so fast that their head is swimming. When a seed is sown, this is another point that we made, that when a seed is sown, it produces after its own kind. Y'all remember that? When a seed is sown, it produces after its own kind. An apple seed will produce apples. An avocado seed, we said, will produce avocados. A grape seed will produce grapes. When a seed is sown, it produces after its own kind. So that means that God's seeds produce God fruit. And seed can only be sown when you get down and dirty. And so we discovered that a lot of us have been getting down and dirty with the wrong people, the wrong places, and the wrong things. But then we wonder why our lives are producing corrupt fruit. 
Oh, and we had to bust them out. It's because the seed produces after its own kind, and you get corrupt fruit when you let who? Corrupt Chuck sow his seed in your garden. Corrupt Chuck. Yeah, Charlie boy. Or that corrupt chick. Because, you know, we're not discriminating. Jeez, I can't even say chick without thinking of Chick-fil-A. Y'all pray for me. But it's all right because it does not matter who we allow to sow the seed in our garden. Remember, it can even be grandma and them. We came into agreement with something we called a crop failure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. A crop failure in our lives that every seed that was sown by an unqualified sower will be uprooted in the field of our hearts in the name of Jesus. Y'all still receiving that? Yeah. Yeah. And so as we um, get to part three, one of the things that resonated in this message, specifically in, in Bible study, it resonated hard. And then even last week during our couch conversation, wasn't that amazing? Yeah. Woo! Yeah. Wasn't the glory of God here? You know what really somebody brought to my attention is that the glory of God was here and people, you know, accepted the life of Christ for two weeks and we didn't have a formal sermon. But when you are a church that's in God, the greeters can preach. You know what I'm saying? When you're the, 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 the praise team can preach, the dancers can preach. And, and there was word that went forth. That, that couch conversation was more than a word. And God got glory and people got saved. Isn't that what it's all about? I mean, I could be up here, you know, hooping and hollering, but if God doesn't get glory and if people don't get saved, then we need to get home. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. That's it. And so we ended up talking about generational curses. <clears throat> and it's amazing because uh, part three was um, a saved document at the same time part two was. And so it was, am it was amazing uh, over the course of time, uh, coming to Bible study, for example, and I know sometimes I'll let y'all know, all right, all right, y'all getting into the next part. Um, but then it was amazing, too, to see what happened last Sunday and to see how that was a setup uh, for, for this next part. Um, but anyway, somebody say generational curses. Generational curses. Okay. So there was something that went forth last week, and our sister Jennifer Trotter, she um, called that thing out, that that's a word curse, okay? That's a word curse, all right? And so um, part three uh, is dealing heavily with the ties uh, that we make with our words, okay? Or with uh, embracing somebody else's words toward us, okay? Um Somebody say word curse. word curse. Okay, so so these words um, 
remember I talked about the words that grandmama might have said or the words that mama or daddy might have said or the words that big brother or, or, or friend or, or foe or somebody has said, a lot of times what happens is these words literally affect your mind. They create defeat in your mind. And how many of you know that? If you're defeated in your mind, you're defeated in your life. They condition your mind to position itself to receive what has been spoken. Now that sounds like the tithe and offering confession, right? Want to know why? Because it works the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Life is not just in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. They work the exact same way. In the same way that you can set and position yourself to receive what we speak during that confession time is the same way that you can set and position yourself to receive the negative seed that has been spoken over your life. And so check this out. A lot of us are living in manifestations of words we have spoken. And a lot of us are living in manifestations of words that have been spoken over us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of us are living in manifestations of words we have spoken. And a lot of us are living in manifestations of words that have been spoken over us. Literally afterward on Sunday, um, there was an aha moment where there was the realization that somebody spoke something over my kids years ago. And we had to get the oil out, and we had to come against what had been spoken, and we had to uproot it and speak anew and plant a new seed over those children, right? Because they were living in a manifestation of words that had been spoken over them. Proverbs 18.21, the King James Version of it says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. If we look at it in the message paraphrase, it says that words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. Okay? Words, words, the power of your words. I really believe that Christians don't, absolutely always have the full grasp of the power of our words. The fact that when we have this authority, authority that God has given us, then literally we can call things that be not as though they were. Literally, we, 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 we can bind something on earth and it will be bound in heaven. And we literally can loose something on earth and it will be loosed in heaven. And so we absolutely cannot be loosey-goosey, if you will, when it comes to our words. Our words are more powerful than our bank accounts. Our words are more powerful than our educations. Your words Our words are are one of the most powerful things that we have. 
And so I want you to see this thing right because I realize that literally a lot of us are living in a manifestation of words that we have spoken, and a lot of us are living in manifestations of words that have been spoken over us. Now watch this. A lot of us have come into agreement with words by way of chant or creed that have subtly creeped into the fiber of our lives. Okay? A lot of us have come into agreement with words by way of chant or creed that have subtly creeped into the fiber of our lives. Mm -hmm. You might have a creed at work. You need to read over it before you start saying it. Because your words have power. And I'm not just saying everything that this company might be saying. Amen? Yeah. Beware of groups where you have to confess that all of your soul belongs to something or some entity other than God. Yeah. Yeah. I would never have you to declare that all of your anything belongs to this church. Because I need you to have some for your family. And I need you to have some for your spouse. And I need you to have some for your loved ones. And I need you to have some for yourself. And so all of my love, my peace, and happiness I give to my organization. I want you to think about that thing. First of all, your love and your peace, if it's real love and peace, then it's a fruit of the Spirit. And it comes from God. So you mean to tell me that you're going to get something from God? and then give it to an organization or a group or a company? No. If the answer is no, then you need to stop saying it. Because, beloved, we can't afford to say stuff that we don't believe. Mm -hmm. That's a word curse. Our words are too powerful, and our lives are too dependent upon our words. We don't need to sing another lyric that we don't mean. We don't need to chant another chant that goes against our belief system. No longer are the days of going with the flow and doing what we feel we need to do to fit in when we need to do what God called us to do, which is to stand out. And if you look in Scripture, if you look in Scripture, people of God, God's people stood out because they had a different confession. They stood out because they refused to say what everyone else was saying. In Numbers 14, the chant of the crowd was, there are giants, and we are grasshoppers in their sight. But the confession of the godly was, there's milk and there's honey, and there are a few giants in the land, but we are more than able to conquer. In Matthew 16, the chant of the coast of Caesarea Philippi was that thou art Elijah and thou art Jeremiah or one of those other prophets. But the confession of the godly was that thou art the Christ. It may not be the popular narrative, but it's the truth. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. What is your confession? Are you just saying what they are saying? Or are you saying what God has said? And so we as believers have to stop speaking what is common and start speaking what is curse-breaking. Some of us have, have gotten better with our speech, and I'm so glad um, that you've grown, and I'm so glad that you've stopped cussing, some of you. But what if I told you that you've stopped cussing, but you're still cursing?
But I've come with some good news. Somebody say good news. news. I've come with some good news. And the good news is that uh, the curse is not irreversible. Yeah. Yeah. They they just became the norm and they became generational when when they became unchecked and unchallenged. That's why it keeps going. But listen, you, you, you are the checker. You are the challenger. There may have been an attack, but that's okay. There's also a counterattack. WOPBI students, you know about that. There is a counterattack. There has got, you have got to launch a counterattack on the enemy. You've got to get strategic about this thing. You can't just allow it. No, no, no. You have to counterattack, just like we did last Sunday. There's some, some, some oil that you may need to borrow so that you can go around your home and so that you can go to some of these places and so that you can cancel the plan of the enemy, so that you can break these curses, these word curses. Uh, First Chronicles 4, 9 through 10. First Chronicles 4, 9 through 10. Let's look at that together. Anybody heard of my man, Jay Bass? Yes, indeed. It says this, and Jabaz was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabaz, saying, because I bear him with sorrow. Mm. Okay. Um, verse 10 says, and Jabaz called on the God of Israel, saying, oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. <laughs> And enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from the very thing that my mama named me after. That thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me, and God granted him that which he requested. Let's look at it in the New King James real quick. It says, now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. How many of you know that you can be honorable and still be cursed? And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. I named him my experience. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause the thing that my mama named me that I may not cause her experience that I may not continue in this generational word curse so God listen God granted him that which that which he requested and so because of the power of our words and because of how the atmosphere reacts to our words the atmosphere granted uh, what his mother put into motion but because he counterattacked that thing, uh-huh. I said, wait a minute. I know what she called me. But I heard that God calls me something different. Yeah. So maybe if I go boldly before the throne and I begin to identify with what he already said I am, uh-huh. then I can be it. 
The NIV and the New King James, they're very similar in this instance, but uh, if we take a look at the NIV anyhow, it says that Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. Some of us need to go boldly before God, and we need to speak that we will be free from the thing that our somebody put on us. Yeah. I know all my life they told me I was this. I know. Listen, I, I saw on social media a baby, I mean a newborn baby, ain't get a chance to do nothing. I look in the comments, oh, he going to be bad. He gonna be, I can see he going to be bad. Can he cry first? Can they clean him up? I mean, we already speaking that he's going to be bad. That's the first, he's you know, been entered into this world, and the first thing that we're going to speak on him, and then, you know, then it start catching like, oh, you, oh, you're talking about that bad boy. And next thing you know, bad is not something that the little boy had on his radar, but it's something that he keeps hearing. And it's something that's following him. And it's something that he begins to identify with and come into agreement with. And now he grows up, and it goes unchecked. You're going to be a bad boy just like your father. And he has a son. And the cycle continues. But then he has a son, and his son goes to Wapsi and gets freed by this Soul Tie series and says the buck stops here and says that I'm counterattacking everything that my mama and my grandmama and my great-grandmama put in place and spoke over me. You are a good boy. You are a blessed young man. You are a child of the Most High. You are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. You are called out of darkness into the marvelous light. You shall do great things. You shall do mighty things. You are the blessed of God. What is your declaration? What is your confession? What are you saying about yourself? What are you saying about your sons? What are you saying about your daughters? What are you saying about your wife? What are you saying about your husband? What are you saying? What are you saying? What are you saying? Break the curse. Repent. Turn from that thing. Stop identifying with that thing. But the thing about repentance is when you turn from it, if you don't turn to something else, you'll turn right back. And so that's why you got to see. Before I depart ways with what you said, hold on, give me one second. I need to see what God said. Now I have what I need to turn away from you and never look back. Because what God said about me is so much greater than the lie that you tried to tell me. We have the authority to change the family narrative. We have the authority to change the family name. We have the authority to change your story. Amen? Amen. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was in a conversation 
uh, with the bishop about authority and power versus authority and how there is a difference, okay? Um, when you deal with power, you deal with ability, but when you deal with authority, you deal with a license. You deal with... Uh, when you deal with power, you deal with ability, but when you give uh, into authority, authority means this, the power or the right to give orders, make decisions, and to enforce. So, so, so what I thought about, I thought about how, let's say you got a big, big strong joker, you know, in, in jail or something like that, and you know, he just got all these muscles, and then you got this puny guard, but the guard has authority over the one who has power. Like, you know, and so, and so we don't, we in and of ourselves, we really don't have power, but we have authority. And authority trumps power. And, and so and so that's why sometimes you could be in a situation where it seems like the enemy, you know, he's he's being powerful as it relates to what he's doing in your life, but that's when you have to pull that authority card. Because the authority that I have can put your power behind bars. And so we don't flex our power, we flex our authority. And this is why uh, what we do is we show up and we speak up. You know, we show up and we speak authority. We put the armor on, but we don't fight the battle because we don't have the power to fight for our victory, but we do have the authority to claim what somebody with all power has already won on our behalf. And that's why the enemy is trying to keep you quiet. And that's why he's trying to keep you singing that same old generational song because if your words start lining up with what God says about you you have the authority to unleash an open heaven over your life that there is no devil in hell who can put a stop to it so the enemy says I know I can't stop their authority but if only I could get them to shut their mouth. If only I could get them to stop speaking. If only I could get them to stop believing. If only I could get them to stop confessing. I dare you, no matter what your situation looks like, no matter what this thing feels like, no matter what it seems like, that you keep your confession intact. I said you gotta keep your confession intact. The psalmist says it doesn't matter your condition let this be your disposition because you have the authority to override some of you didn't hear me i said you have the authority to override anybody ever been in school in college and you need to get in that class so that you can graduate who do you go to somebody with the authority to override i need an override well, I'm here to tell you that you in God have the authority to override the fact that the enemy wanted you to sit this semester out. You have the power, you have the authority to override the plan of the enemy. You have the authority to override the generational curse. And so I dare you to keep your confession intact. I don't care. I don't care if you're tired of confessing it. You keep on confessing it. Because the moment your confession is not intact, the enemy thinks he's won. You got to begin to speak the truth about that thing. 
no matter how I feel or what I'm in, I cannot resort to reinforcing the lies that the enemy will feed you with during those moments and instead begin to speak the truth about that thing. The truth is always what God says about it. And this, beloved, is how the truth makes you free. Because even in the midst of what seems to have me bound, if I begin to cause my confession to be the truth of what God says about it, I'm no longer affected by what I'm in. And so I'm free. I need somebody to get that. The truth will make you free. It'll make you free in the middle of a situation that looks like it has you bound. It'll make you free in the midst of a generational curse. It'll make you free in the midst of what's in your bloodline. But I declare that there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. And so in Bible study, one of our dear sisters, she told us, she said, well, I went to the doctor, and, and they had me filling out this paper trying to see what runs in my family, what runs in my bloodline. And I told them, I don't know, because I'm adopted, and they drew a big old X on the paperwork. And when I tell you that thing blessed me some kind of good, because I've been adopted too. I've been adopted into the family of God. And so, when the enemy tries to get me to check off some stuff, when the enemy tries to get me to identify with some stuff, I can pull out my sanctified pen and put a big old X through it because I'm a child of the Most High God. I've been adopted into the family of Christ. I don't care what ran in my bloodline. I'm covered with the blood of Jesus. Yeah, somebody ought to give him glory. Anybody been adopted into the family? It's a family reunion. Let's celebrate. It's a family reunion. I said, let's celebrate. Celebrate good times. Come on. Yeah, it's a family reunion. I've been adopted into the family of God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey. It's a family reunion. Celebrate good times, come on.
Are you in the family? Are you in the family? Come on, stand up all over the building. And let's give God, our Father, a hand clap of praise.